0: Well, uh, I don't know what you've done to stay sane in uh, 2020 or the last few weeks, Uh, but one of the things I've done this year is I've gone back to reread some of the books that I've just loved since, some of them since I was a kid, Uh, some of them Christian, some of them non-Christian. And uh, one uh, set of books that I've gone back to revisit is J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. And maybe you've not read the books, but hopefully you've seen the movies. Uh, Last night, we were putting up our third christmas tree of the year don't judge it's 2020 you get by any way you can okay can i get a witness so we were putting up our third christmas tree and i was telling the boys uh, a little bit they always ask on saturday hey dad what's the sermon about tomorrow and uh i said well i'm gonna start off by uh talking about the lord of the rings and grayson who's over here to watch a baptism here in just a little bit he said you mean lord of the beans no He said, that's what it is on VeggieTales. I said, well, we're not talking VeggieTales, son. So it's not the Lord of the beans, it's the Lord of the rings. And there's uh, one particular part early on where uh, Frodo is talking to Gandalf and Gandalf is telling him about the ring has returned and so has the enemy. And and this, this is how it reads. It says, I wish it need not to have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, says Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And I thought that was a fitting place to start today because one of the things, as we think about the last few months and the last few weeks and even the last few days, uh, I think we can all agree, if we can't agree on anything else, I think we can agree on the fact that it's not been easy. Uh, things haven't gone according to our plans. We didn't envision this year to look like this. We didn't expect to feel this way. We didn't expect to be so uneasy on the inside. We just didn't expect to see and hear everything that we've seen uh, throughout this year. And so if we were in charge, we would have written a different script. Uh, So I think the best place to start uh, here in the beginning of a brand new series is just with a little bit of honesty. The past few months, the past few weeks, and the past few days, it's been tough. And it's been tougher on some than others. And it's not all been bad, but it's been tough. And a lot of folks have just been trying to survive and statistics uh, are proving that people aren't necessarily taking the best mechanism To survive, Uh, alcohol sales are booming in the country since March because people are self-medicating and people are just trying to be numb and and they're just trying to just zone out. And so, folks, you know, if I can't escape it, I'm just going to drown it out. Uh, Pornography use is significantly increased uh, this time of year over last year. Uh, Depression is up 30 percent. Uh, domestic abuse is up, suicide is up, mental health issues are up 40% according to the CDC. Uh, and even in recent days, uh, we've been reminded of the fact that civil unrest can lead to emotional unrest. And, and over the past 10 to 15 years, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, they've actually uh, noticed that this is a phenomenon that happens you know, every two years, especially every four years. And they've coined the term election stress syndrome because they've noticed that there's an uptick in mental health cases around the election cycle. And and so, you know, now some of you know what you've had, it's election stress syndrome. And and now you've got a diagnosis. And when somebody, you know, your wife looks at you, and says, what is wrong with you? It's election stress syndrome. Get over it, Uh, you know, so, but that's free. But anyway, don't do that with your wife. She won't buy it. Uh, And so that's kind of where we are. And and we already knew things were tough. We kind of knew that already because it's been a bit infuriating, it's been a bit disconcerting, at times demoralizing, confusing, uh, disappointing. Uh, But here's my theory on it. Perhaps the most frustrating thing of all is the fact that really we've realized that we are pretty much powerless to change anything that's going on around us, especially a lot of the things that's caused us so much grief and anxiety. And I think the thing that's taken its biggest toll on people at large is the fact that the illusion of control, the illusion of control has been shattered into a million pieces. Uh, We have been unsettled by the reminder that pretty much we are powerless to change a lot of the things that are happening around us. Some of you would change some things today. Some of you would undo some things today, but you know what? Powerless to do so. And that's bothersome. And maybe it's most disquieting of all the things that have happened. So with all that said, as we kick off a brand new series today, my goal today was to come to encourage you and to encourage me. And so I thought the first thing I would do is to give everyone a pill a pill that's gonna be a little bit difficult to swallow. Uh, I, I, it's what my grandmother would call a horse pill. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just, honey, take this horse pill. And, and it's like, is it really for a horse, grandma? It's big enough for one, but it was about the size of a match, you know, a matchbook car you know, or a Hot Wheels car. And you know, it was an antibiotic tablet. And it's like, dear Lord, I mean, I've never seen a pill. Can they not make it like into two uh, instead of just one big? So it's gonna be hard to swallow, but if you can swallow it, if you can get it down and keep it down, just like, you know, a big old pill, you're going to be better off for it in the long run. So, so here, here's the pill we don't necessarily like. When it comes to life, or the past few months, few weeks, and few days, it is what it is. On this particular Sunday in November, it is what it is. 2020, it is. What it is. Uh, we don't like that and it, it tastes a little bitter and we, we'd just rather spit that pill back up, but it is what it is. What can you do about it? <laughs> what can I do about it? It is what it is. Ranting on Facebook, did that change anything? No. Sitting at home, being upset about whatever it is you're upset about, has that changed anything? No. It is what it is. Whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the election, whether it's life, your life, my life, circumstances big, circumstances small, whatever it is, whatever the it is that weighs you down, holds you back, that's been bothering you, that causes you to fear, causes you to fret, that you've been complaining about, that you've been grieved over, it, whatever it is, it is what it is. Now, it is what it is, is not an abdication of responsibility. You've been involved and, and you've, you've made your choices and, and you've, you've just not been sitting on the sidelines of life, you've, you've done your part, but... After you've done your part, it it is what it is. This is not fatalism, it's just realism. It it is what it is. But, that's the pill that's hard to swallow. But here's, here's the good news. Here's the good part. It is what it is, but what it is won't be the way it is forever. Isn't that good news? It is what it is, but what it is won't be the way it is forever. And that's enough to smile. That's enough to kind of feel a little bit of a, just a glimmer of joy down on the inside. That, that looks like light at the end of the tunnel. That feels like, oh, something's lifting off my shoulders. It is what it is, but what it is won't be the way it is Forever. This is what Solomon, Solomon looked back over his life. He, he was known as the wisest man. He didn't always compute into his life practically, but had a lot of wisdom. He didn't always follow it. But, but he was looking back over his life towards the end of his life and, and he jotted down into his personal memoir, a verse that many of you've heard. This is what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, for everything, there is a season. For everything, there is a season. And this is gonna be good news for all of us. And this is gonna be the introduction to the series that we're gonna spend the next uh, three weeks in. The most encouraging part of what Solomon realized about his life was that his life was a cohesion of seasons. One season followed by another season, followed by another season, followed by another season, that at the end of his life, he saw how they all joined together and they formed the totality of his life. And towards the end of his life, his final observation about his life was this. He looks back and he thinks about those times that he thought that he would never survive. He looked back over those moments that he thought it would never end. He never thought anything would get better. He never thought anything would change. And he looked back over those events and I think he thought to himself, hmm. What was, was, but what was didn't last forever. What was, was. Some of you, you're old enough to look back over your life and you can say that. What was, was, but what was, wasn't forever. It was a season. It was a moment. It was a chapter. And and Solomon realized that God, just like the world around us, God built into our lives ebb and flow, up and down. There's an ebb and flow of our lives. There's spring and there's summer and there's fall and there's winter and there's all of those things. And that's what Solomon realized. He goes on in this chapter and he says, you know what, there's a time for everything. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to plant, there's a time to harvest, time to kill, to heal, to tear down, to build up, to cry, to laugh, to grieve, to dance, to scatter, to gather, to have war, to have peace. He says, there's a time for everything. And this is such great wisdom. He says, in life, your life, my life, it is full of short seasons of extremes. Don't miss this short seasons of extremes with much monotony in between. There's those moments that's way over here and there's that moment that's way over there and that season where you feel like you're really high and that season where you feel like you're really low, but those are just momentary seasons. They're short seasons of extremes with a lot of monotony in between. And he realized that he looked back over his life that every season ultimately became a memory to remember and a story to tell because seasons don't last forever, including this one, including your season that you're currently in, whatever it is. One day, the things that you've been going through, the things that you've been feeling, the thing that you endured, the last few months, the last few weeks, the last few days, sooner or later, it will be a once upon a time. It will be a memory to remember, it will be a story to tell. And here is the question, what story do you wanna tell? When this season of life is a memory to remember and a story to tell, what story do you wanna tell and what do you want to remember? Richard Blackaby said that seasons are God's way of promising change. Fall is a promise of winter, and winter is a promise of spring, and spring is a promise of summer. Seasons are a promise of change. And Richard Blackaby goes on in his book that's all about seasons, he says everything in our life has a season, an appropriate time. Not in some random way, but I love his phrase. He says, it is charged with purpose. The last few months, the last few weeks, the last few days, your life, every season of it, it's been charged with purpose. And that's what Solomon realized. And he got to the end of chapter three, and this is what he says. This is so good. He says, yet God... After he talks about a time to kill and a time to heal and a time to plant and a time to harvest, he said, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. It didn't seem beautiful in the moment. It didn't feel beautiful in the moment. But yet God in some way was weaving the seasons together and God has made every season beautiful in its own time. And he goes on to say, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You can't see it when you're in it. You can't see the beauty of what God's doing in it. It's only gonna be on the other side of the season and maybe a few seasons away that you're gonna be able to look back and say, God was doing something beautiful. God was doing something great. I thought it was the end of the world. I thought it was the worst thing ever, but, but look what God did. And there will be a moment when that happens, whether in time or eternity, Because Solomon also said that it is God who put eternity in our hearts. And so if we don't realize it on this side, we'll realize it on the other side. That God indeed made everything beautiful in his own time. And so the idea is that every season of your life has a divine purpose attached to it. Don't miss it. No matter how hard it is, don't miss it. No matter how difficult it is, don't miss it. No matter how irritating or frustrating, don't miss it. And and there's a part of us, we don't like the idea of this. But if he's right, and he is, if Solomon's right, that means that this year, this season, your story, your life, it has a divine purpose attached to it, every single chapter of it. Now, this is why this is important. And again, I'll just remind you. My job today is just to tee up the ball for the rest of the series, to just get us going in that direction. When we forget that every season of life has God's purpose attached to it, let me tell you what happens when we forget that, when we lose sight of that. We end up fighting against the season that we're in. And then we end up resenting the season that we're in. We fight against it instead of participating in it. We resent it. And then when we resent it, we end up wasting the purpose that God had attached to that season. And you don't wanna do that. And I don't want you to do that. And I don't wanna do that. And I know that we don't want that for each other. We don't want to miss the purpose that God is attached to this season of your life or my life or our life. That's not what we want to happen. So what do we do about it? Where do we start? Well, we start where we are. And you have to be honest enough about where you are and I have to be honest enough about where we are. And if you're disappointed, start there. If you're frustrated, start there. If you're angry, start there. If you're discouraged, start there. If you're discontent or you're guilt-ridden or you have you know, an influx of regret or you're exhausted or cynical or whatever it is, start there. Just be honest about where you are. You gotta start where you are. And here's the fact of the matter. No matter what the matter is, where you're starting from, we are where we are. And however we got here is less important than where do we go from here? And that's the question of this series. Where do we go from here? Once we get honest enough to say, hey, we're in a season and this is the season that I'm in, I'm gonna own it so I don't miss God's purpose that he's attached to it. Where do we go from here? Wherever here is for you, whatever here looks like for you, whatever here, Is yours where do we go from here where do we go as a people as a church as Christians followers of Jesus well here's the answer we go forward that's where we go we keep on moving and we keep on moving forward do we have a choice we refuse to get stuck in the season that we're in. We refuse to get stuck in the emotion that we feel. We keep running our race. We refuse to quit. That's what we do. That's who we are. There's a race that's been laid out in front of us. God has called us to run in our lane. We run in our lane. We refuse to throw in the towel. We move on from where we are. We turn the corner. We turn the page, as the great sage Bob Seeger said. We turn the page, right? We move through and we move on. That's what we do. So how do we do that? How do we move on from where we are, wherever we are? How do we move on? How do we keep from getting stuck? How do we keep from growing bitter or growing sour? How does that happen? How do we keep from missing the purpose God has attached to this season of life? There's one answer, one answer only. It's the thing that will change everything without changing anything. It's the thing that will change everything without changing anything. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. Now, I, hope, I know you were hoping for something deeper, something more profound or spiritual. But don't miss this. Gratitude helps us to start moving forward and stay moving forward even when the unwanted remains unchanged. Whatever the unwanted is in your life, It is gratitude that will get you moving through it, and it's gratitude that'll keep you moving until you're past it, even when what you do not want is not changed. When it comes to gratitude, Chesterton called it the highest form of human thought, perhaps because gratitude shifts our focus. Gratitude gets us off the news cycle. Gratitude gets us off the bad news. Gratitude gets us off, oh, this didn't turn out the way I wanted. Or gratitude, it makes us stop thinking about the disappointment or stop thinking about the hurt or stop thinking about all the things that we would change if we could, but we can't. So why do we keep thinking about it? Gratitude is what deepens perspective. It softens our heart. It renews our soul. It refocuses our mind. That's the power of gratitude. This is one of the most profound things that we have at our disposal. This is the thing that you, you've kept in the back closet. This is the thing that I've put in the bottom shelf. This is the tool that we need. This is the tool that God has given us that we can start moving and get past some of the things that we've not been able to get past. It gives us the momentum to move forward in the face of life. It helps us swim above the undertow that keeps on pulling us back towards bitterness and frustration and fret and all of those things. Without gratitude, let me promise you, and let me promise myself what life will be like. Without gratitude, life will grow tiresome, life will feel hard, and life will feel overwhelming. That's how life will be. Without gratitude, you'll end up being pulled towards fretting, complaining, and resenting. That's what will happen. Gratitude is the secret to moving forward, and it reminds us that there's good, even in the midst of the bad that's a part of your story and part of my story, even the bad that is this season. Gratitude refocuses me on the good. Now, I told you I've been rereading Lord of the Rings and all of that, but in, in the second book, uh, there, there's a great there's a great story, and uh, I, I don't have time to set it up for you, but. But Frodo is talking to his good friend, Sam, and, and he's having kind of a crisis and he, he thinks he can't do you know, what's being asked of him. Uh, he's not gonna be able to move forward. He's not gonna be able to fulfill his duty. And, and, and this is how this moment plays out. He, he looks at his friend and says, I just can't do it. And his good friend, Sam says, it's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, ah, oh, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness, must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. You know what he's saying? It's a season, it's a chapter. Those were the stories that stayed with you that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, but they didn't. They could have gotten stuck, but they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. Frodo says, what are we holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for that's what gratitude does. Gratitude shifts our focus. And it gets us thinking about loftier things, weightier things, eternal things. And more than ever before, we need to believe this in order to move forward. That there is some good in this world. There is good at work. And it's worth holding on to. And to remember that the pain or the disappointment or the frustration or whatever, it is a passing thing. Darkness itself is just a season and a new day will come. And gratitude is what ushers it in because it elevates and it amplifies the good over the bad. Now, for some of us who didn't finish at the top of the class, the good news is gratitude isn't connected to competency. It doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are or how bad your circumstances might be or how good your circumstances might be. The good news about gratitude is it's connected to choice. Everybody just say choice. Choice. It's yours and it's mine. And when we choose gratitude, we're choosing to preserve our own life. When we choose gratitude, we're rejecting those other emotions which just simply undermine us and cause unrest. It's a choice to savor the good moments of life, to savor the good friends that we have in our life and to acknowledge all the good that we often take for granted. That's the power of gratitude. When we choose gratitude, we choose to be a better version of ourselves because the benefits are extensive. Makes you happier. Some of you wanna be happier, choose gratitude. Improves your relationships, choose gratitude. Makes you more generous, hey, choose gratitude. Find greater meaning in life when you choose gratitude. I mean, studies have been done, it makes you more likable. And some of you might need all the help you can get That's the 1130, Uh, but you all are lovable. But but choose gratitude, be likable. It reduces your blood pressure. Hey, you may be able to get off the meds. I don't know, I'm not a doctor, don't listen to me. Helps you sleep better, raises your self-esteem. All when you choose gratitude. It moves you through until you get beyond the season that you're in. So I wanna teach for just, just a couple moments about the anatomy of gratitude or how gratitude actually works. I got to thinking, I was like, we've talked about gratitude before, but, but I want us to understand gratitude. And, and I just want to give you a couple of things, a couple of thoughts to hold on to, so that we can begin all this month to choose gratitude, so that we can move out of the season that we're in into the next thing that God has for us. And, and here's what I want you, if you take notes, I want you to put this down or jot it in your memory, but, but he, here's what I, I want us to understand. Gratitude begins with trust. That's where it begins. It begins with a belief that God is in control. That's where gratitude begins. It begins with the belief that God is in control, that God is on his throne. Do you know where God's been the last few months, the last few weeks, the last few days? On his throne. Do you know that the last few months, last few weeks, the last few days has been completely under God's control? Do you know that every, that's ever happened in this life, in history, it's been while God's on his throne and God's been in control. Whatever has gone on, whatever is going on, whatever will go on. Here's what I need you to understand. This is what I need to understand. God is all powerful. He's in control. And God is all loving. And God can be trusted with everything that's in his control. God is all powerful, thus he is in control. God is all loving, thus he can be trusted with everything that's in his control. Theologians call it the providence of God or the sovereignty of God. And it just simply means that God, everything that happens in life, God is either the architect or God is the allower of it. So I don't know if that makes me feel good about life. It's not meant to make us feel good about life. It's what we hang our hat on. It's what we believe. It's what we trust that he's on his throne and God either designed it or God allowed it. And when we place our faith on that, our trust on that, that's what opens the door for us to be grateful. Now I'm gonna throw some verses at you. You can, you can use our app, you can download. Everything that I put up here, it's on our app. The notes are there. And, and so if you can't keep up, I'm just gonna kind of throw some verses at you because I want you to know how much the Bible talks about this. So the goal is not to let you write them all down because you can get these off of our app and on the notes. But I, I wanna throw some verses at you that just reminds us, reminds us of this all throughout the scripture. Listen to this one, Paul. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purposes of him. Now, pay attention to this. Who works all things. Talk to me, tell me that word one more time. All things. One more time, all things. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm telling you that all things means all things. All things. He works all things, big and small, all things according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't confer with me. God doesn't ask me. We didn't get together at the end of 2019, and he looked at me and said, hey, Trev, what do you want 2020 to look at, uh, Look like, pal? What, what can I serve up for you in 20? No, God didn't do that. He didn't ask you, he didn't ask me. God doesn't need my input. God does what he does. And he works it out according to the counsel of his own will. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It's like, what? Are not one of them, will they not fall to the ground? How can they fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. By who? By God. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than the sparrows. So what in the world is Jesus saying? He's saying that the lowliest of creatures, sparrows, when they fall from the ground, God knew it. God was there. It didn't happen apart from him. A penny, the most minuscule transaction that one could have, God was involved in the penny. Jesus' point is you're not gonna find a scenario where God's not involved. He's He's involved in the small, insignificant, and he is certainly involved in the significant He's involved in your life because you're more valuable than the sparrows. He knows the number of hairs on your head. So God's not caught by surprise about what our lives are like or what we're going through. God is in control and God can be trusted. That's what the scriptures keep hitting us with over and over and over again. Listen to what God says in Isaiah. I create the light and make the darkness. Do you now? I send good times and bad times, who does? I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Now, listen, if God can be trusted, I don't have to be bothered by that. If God can be trusted, I don't have to be scared of that. If God can be trusted, I don't have to be fearful or fretful about that. If God can be trusted, I don't have to wring my hands and wish I had more control or wish I could do this or wish I could do that. If I trust his control more than I trust my illusion of control, Freezes. us. It frees us. Listen, listen to what Job said. Job said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Listen to what God says again in Isaiah. I'm the one who's declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In other words, this is God saying resistance is futile. Charles Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God is the pillow upon which the Jesus follower rests his head. He he said in another place, he said, cheer up, cheer up. There's no things left to chance. There's no blind fate. It doesn't rule the world. God has purposes and those purposes will be fulfilled. God has plans and those plans cannot be dislocated. Those plans cannot be interrupted. For those of us who may be a bit fretful here at this time of November, listen to what Daniel the prophet said. So that the living may know the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Listen to what Solomon said. He says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So Trevor, I'm not sure if this makes me feel better. Again, unless we believe God can be trusted, it won't make you feel better. Unless you believe that God can be trusted with everything that happens, it won't encourage you. It won't set you free from fear. It won't set you free from fret. But the moment that we truly believe that God can be trusted, because gratitude begins with trust, the moment that we trust that God can be trusted, all of a sudden, There's life and there's hope and there's there's joy because Paul put a big bow on it. He said this, he said, and we know that God causes everything, 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 everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God who brings together every season of life and every event of life and God who works with us as we are involved and responsible to make our own choices, but God, he's there and he's working it all for good. When we trust that, when we believe that, that makes gratitude possible because we will never be able to be grateful for it until we are able to trust that God was and in control of it, whatever it is, whatever it was. To move through it, and beyond it, you got to believe, I've got to believe that God either prescribed it or permitted it, that it in some way furthered his plan and his purpose, no matter how bad it felt or looked, I still trust that he can bring good from it. Now, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't believe myself to be a great parent, but I try to be very honest with my kids. And so I, I was talking to Shepherd the other night and we were just kind of me and him, Grayson was in the shower and and we were watching something and the conversation came up and, and I, I looked, looked at Shepherd, and I said, you do know chances are one day your father will die before you will. And son, you will pray with all of your heart for it not to happen. If daddy's sick, you'll pray that maybe God will heal me and you'll pray with all of your heart And you will make a deal with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God, if you'll just spare, I'll do this. And I said, all of that's natural. But here's what I want you to never forget. God is in control of everything that happens and you can trust him with it. You can trust him with it. This opens up our perspective on life. When we believe that God is in control of all things, listen to me, this is where we come back to where we're at. We can be grateful in all things. When we believe that God is in control of all things, we can be grateful in all things. And that's that's the message of scripture as well. Paul, Ephesians 5, give thanks for everything. Everything, yes. Some of you, the best thing of healing that you could begin to serve to yourself is this, is to thank God for everything that's happened, even the things you didn't like. Because you began to believe that God is in control and God could be trusted and God could take the bad and even bring good from it. We can only thank God for everything when we believe that God's in control and he can be trusted with it. When we can say, Father, it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Matter of fact, it doesn't look like anything I wanted it to look like, but Father, I believe you're in control and I'm gonna trust you with it. Another place Paul said this, don't be anxious about anything, anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Wow. Another place he says, give thanks for everything. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. If you wanna know what God's will is for you right now in this season, (laughs) start with gratitude, because it shifts our focus from what's wrong to what's right, from what's bad to what's good, to what's fleeting, to what's eternal. Now, one of my heroes who embodies this more than any person that I think that I, I know, and I only know them from afar, and I have been a fan, they've been a hero of mine since childhood, is Joni Erickson Tata. I've probably mentioned her before, but Joni Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic, and meaning she she has no feeling from the neck down. That's she was in a diving accident as a teenager. Uh, And she dove into shallow water and it it broke her neck. And, And she, in her life story, she tells about how she had to throw away all of her plans and all of her hopes and all of her dreams only to face depression and hopelessness. And she says that physical affliction, think about this, physical affliction and emotional pain, she said, frankly, are just part of my everyday routine. She paints with her mouth. I I, I could remember just being amazed at some of her paintings and you can Google them and and see them and there's videos about them but she would paint with her mouth. She sings but her diaphragm sometimes gets stuck and her husband has to come on stage and kind of jar it loose. And she says that she's never looked at her wheelchair as the enemy. She's never looked at her circumstances as the enemy. She knows there is an enemy, but her wheelchair isn't the enemy. Her circumstances aren't the enemy. My favorite story about Joni is she was uh, going to speak at a National Women's Conference and and she's so popular they actually oversold the event for these women and so they added extra chairs, extra rows leading all the way up to the stage and so women who bought seats, you know, they were ushered in and some of them were made to force on, you know, forced to sit right there in those upper chairs and and they were just sitting there, you know, and they were so close to the stage and they were complaining, you know, and and they were just bickering about our seat. We don't like the chair where we're at, we're too close, you know, and and so the organizers of the event, they they didn't really know what to do and so they went to Joni and they said, we've got some people unhappy because they don't like the chair they're sitting in down front and they say it's hurting their neck and would you be willing to go say something to them? And she goes, oh, yeah, I would. And she says, she rolled out there and, and she looked at them and she goes, I'm told some of you don't like the chair that you're sitting in. Well, I wanna tell you, I've never liked my chair either, but this is the chair God gave me and I've decided to be grateful for it. that so what did the women do next? Praise the Lord, I love my chair, this is great. This is the most wonderful seat I've ever had in my life. So what was the thing that made the difference in Joni Erickson Tada? How did she not grow bitter or sour? Gratitude. She says, so many people, so many people do things for me or to me as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Someone has to help me out of bed, pour the coffee, get me dressed, brush my hair, brush my teeth, blow my nose. And I'm always quick to say, thank you. And so I've been giving thanks for most of my paralyzed life. She goes on to say, not only giving thanks in everything as one part of the Bible tells us, but always giving thanks to God the Father for everything as another part commands. Most of us are able to thank God for his grace, comfort and sustaining power in a trial. Listen to this, but we don't thank him for the problem just finding him in it. But many decades in a wheelchair has taught me not to segregate my savior from the suffering he allows. As though a broken neck, or in your case, a broken ankle, a broken heart, a broken home, merely happens and then God shows up after the fact to wrestle something good out of it. No, the God of the Bible is bigger than that much bigger, and so is the capacity of your soul. Maybe this wheelchair felt like a horrible tragedy in the beginning, but I give God thanks in my wheelchair. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for my quadriplegia. It's a bruising of a blessing, a gift wrapped in black. It's the shadowy companion that walks with me daily, pulling and pushing me into the arms of my savior. And that's, that's where the joy is. In choosing gratitude, you'll discover that your affliction, that is your wheelchair, whatever it is, falls well within the overarching decrees of God. Your hardship and heartache come from His wise and kind hand. And for that, you can be grateful in it and for it. That's the power of gratitude. Paul closed out his letter to Colossians, and it reminds me so much of Joni's story. He said, And I think it's good advice for all of us. He said, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I love what he says next. He says, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, the Father. One of the best ways to represent God, your heavenly father in this season is to be a person who fights the strong and hard battle of living a life of gratitude. Where do we go from here? We go forward. How do we go forward? With gratitude and where do we start? Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. In a world full of bad news, start with the good news. Turn your attention to God and remind yourself of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. Remember that God is all powerful and he's all wise and he's all knowing, he's in control. He's declaring the end from the beginning. His purposes cannot be thwarted. Nothing catches him by surprise. He turns the hearts of leaders. He raises up kingdoms and tears them down. He's involved in the big moments and the small moments and he's working them all out for your good according to the counsel of his own will. That's who he is and that's what he's doing. So maybe start tomorrow. With this right here, just wake up and say, God, you are in control of all things and you can be trusted in all things. Start there, say it out loud, write it down, come back to it later, make it a part of your routine, put it on the notes on your phone, put it as a screensaver on your phone. God, today you are in control, I confess that. And you can be trusted in all things because you're in control of all things. And then start thinking about God's grace. God's grace towards you. And remember that it was by faith through grace that you were saved, not of your works, but of his finished work. Think about God's grace that is greater than all of your sin. Grace that says, I forgive your sin and I remember them no more. Grace that says, wherever there is sin abounding, I as grace will much more abound. Grace that says, I'm gonna cover every single one of your sin. Grace that said, I didn't care how far you went away from home, just come back home. I'm waiting for you. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace that removes guilt as far as the East is from the West, grace that can and absorb the full measure of our sin. The grace that says no matter who you are or what you've done, just come on back. Think about that and just say out loud, God, my sin is great. God, your grace is greater. Just start there. Start with those two things. God, I confess that you're in control of all things, And I believe you can be trusted in all things and I'm gonna be grateful for all things. God, I just think about your grace and I just wanna say my sin is great. God, you know how great my sin is. You know how despicable my sins are. The ones I've committed, the ones I've wanted to commit, my thoughts, what's down there deep in the darkest part in the corner of my heart, you know about it. But God, every sin that I've ever had or entertained or done, God, your grace is always consistently forever greater. And I'm grateful for it. And then think about God's love. The love that he's loved you, an everlasting love as Jeremiah would say, or as Augustine said, that he loved you as an individual in a way that he loves everyone. And he loves everyone as though they were all individuals. He loves you with an unconditional, unwavering, unending love. Or Whereas Brennan said, I think he said it better than I can and I'll, I'll leave it here. You wake up and you think about the providence of God, you wake up and you think about the grace of God and then you wake up and you think about the love of God. And he says, the compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to your heart, to your heart and your heart and your heart and my heart, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, depending on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. And when you read in the gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it's saying that his gut was wrenched, his heart was torn open, and the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness of God was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine, it doesn't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing what hurts us, seeks us out whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is, come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live, and I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be as you should be. Do you really believe this, he says? with all the wrong turns you've made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love. Do you really believe that Jesus loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. He loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain without caution and regret, without boundary, without limit. No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. A Jesus who says, I know your whole story, every skeleton in your closet, every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word is this, I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be because you'll never be as you should be, but I love you and you wake up and you think about how you've been loved and you just, you just say it out loud, God, at times I've been unrighteous. I've been unfaithful, I've been unwise, but not for a single moment have I been unloved. And God today, I'm grateful. What if we started our day like that? God, you're in control of all things and I'm choosing to be grateful for all things. God, my sin is great, your sin is greater. And God, I've, I've done a lot of things, but I, you've never unloved me. And I'm grateful for that, thank you, God. Thank you for this season. Thank you for that night, thank you for that weekend. God, it seemed so terrible, it seemed so bad then, but God, I look back now and you've brought good from it. Thank you. Because the shadows are passing and even the darkness will pass. And when the sun rises, it will shine all the clearer. And as bad as you thought the story was, you'll find out God was just beginning a better chapter. Heavenly Father, God, let us be a people of gratitude. Let gratitude bring a smile to our face, joy to our heart, peace to our soul. Lord, let us wake up every day of this month and beyond and be thankful if nothing else for the providence of God, for your sovereignty, that you're in control. We can trust you with it. To be thankful for your grace and your love towards us. And God, then I think we'll be able to find other things to thank you for, because there is good in this world. And it's worth holding on to and we dare not let go of it. So God, speak to us. Let us do the work of being grateful people so that we don't end up being a complaining, whining, bitter, sour people. Let us celebrate the story of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried and he was raised from the dead. The tomb is empty and the future, it is bright as the promises of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...